turn back to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. I'm going to read from verses 23 to 29. I'm going to focus on verse 26 in the sermon. Some of this we've seen but heard before. We'll hear again um, general statement of truth. But there's a kernel right in the middle of this that um, I think we really need to take our time and focus on. So we'll read and uh, I may have a comment or two as I read. But we'll focus on verse 26 when we come back to the sermon. Solomon, the man granted great wisdom. Wisest man to ever live under the Lord Jesus Christ, certainly. Made a lot of mistakes. Wisdom can't figure all things out. Can't deliver in and of itself from all things. But Solomon is shaking us. He's, he's trying to convince us of the fact that this world is not our home. We must look above the sun to the God who reigns in heaven who will come and judge. What we really need is a fear of the Lord and to stop seeking our satisfaction, our joy, our purpose, our identity from anything under the Son, or less than our God and the way He has defined things in His Word. Nothing here will satisfy because it is futile, meaning it is vapor, it is temporary, it, is uns- it will not sustain you, it will not last. But this is God's Word in verse 23 to 29. Solomon says this, All this I have tested by wisdom. I said I will be wise, but it was far from me. In other words, he couldn't figure it all out. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? I turned my heart to know and search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly. So we've seen a lot of contrast between wisdom and folly or foolishness or rejecting the Lord and His ways. Been a lot of contrast of that as we've gone through. And I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found the bottom of, haven't found it all out. One man among a thousand I found, or I understand. One man among a thousand I understand. But a woman among all these I have not found or understand. Solomon saying, I don't, I don't understand very many men and none of the women. See this alone I found, that God made man upright. Think garden, think before the fall. God made mankind upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Fall, rebellion against God. God made man upright, but man has sought many schemes against God. 
Thus far, God's Word. Let's pray together. Lord, deliver us from all folly, from all wicked schemes, from ruining and destroying ourselves, thinking we know better than you. Deliver us from ourselves, from our sin, from our leaning on our own understanding. Unto Christ, our redemption, our righteousness, our salvation, our joy. Help me to preach your word, Lord, in the power of your spirit. Take your word and convert and grow your people. Build your kingdom. Revive your church. Apply it to me. Apply it to all of us, Lord. Help us to believe you and trust you and rest in you. Bless the preaching of the word. Bless the hearing of the word. May we sit in rapt attention, Lord Jesus, as though you were physically standing here teaching us. Because it is your word and your spirit will accomplish your purpose through your word. Bless the preaching and the hearing of the word. Lift high the Son of God. Save your church. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I got a little change in my pocket going jing-a-ling-a-ling. Want to call you on the telephone, baby, and give you a ring. But each time we talk, I get the same old thing. Always no huggy, no kissy until I get a wedding ring. My honey, my baby, don't put my love upon no shelf. She said, don't hand me no lines and keep your hands to yourself. See, I wanted her real bad and I was about to give in, but that's when she started talking about true love. She started talking about sin. I said, honey, I'll live with you for the rest of my life. She said, no huggy, no kissy until you make me your wife. My honey, my baby, don't put my love upon no shelf. She said, don't hand me no lines and keep your hands to yourself. Keep your hands to yourself is the name of the song. I forgot the name of the band. I didn't write it down. Georgia something or other. Oh, somebody knows. Georgia Satellites. Okay. That's what we need to say to the world, to the flesh, to the devil on a daily basis. Don't hand me no lines and keep your hands to yourself. Who's better at handing out lines than the evil one? Right? Remember the garden. See, the title, I set, this, I set, I set the title of this sermon, The Trap is Set. And I want to convince you that for you, 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 you. The trap is set every day, all day. It's set. The trap is set for you every second of every day that you live. The trap of sin, of immorality, of turning from God and His commandments. See, Solomon is pointing out here, and again we're focusing in on verse 26. He's pointing out another characteristic of life in a fallen world. 
This is another place that people are tempted to look for satisfaction, to look for joy, to look for identity. Sexual immorality. Life in a fallen world means that we will face sinful temptations of various kinds. And the Bible notes that one of the most powerful of these is the temptation to sexual immorality. Today, from verse 26, we see the danger we all face. We see the danger that some of us are giving into. And there is an answer. Main point, what I want you to see as we look at verse 26, heed God's warning and escape the danger of sexual immorality by loving the Lord more than you love yourself. Heed God's warning and escape the danger of sexual immorality. See, there's more to it than just saying no. By loving the Lord more than you love yourself. First, I want us to look at the constant danger of sexual immorality. Don't worry, parents. I'm not going to dig way down into the gritty details of this. Hopefully, you're having those discussions at the right time. But look at a serious warning first. This is really, I mean, this, this shakes us when we, when we look at it. Solomon said this, and he's digging into things. He's trying to understand wisdom and folly, and, and he's fighting to get us to understand it rightly and to turn from folly to wisdom and follow God and, and fear Him. He says, I find something more bitter than death. That should give us pause. Well, the perennial enemy, the thing people worry about more than anything else, is death. He says, I found something more bitter than death, more distasteful, more wicked, more deadly, causing more grief and suffering. Death is a bitter thing, but to be ensnared in adultery is worse than that, he says. It can ruin the life. It can bring such horrors to the conscience when awakened as are intolerable. You saw bitter in the proverb that I read. It exposes one to eternal death and invites the judgment of God. Think about who's warning us. Solomon knows this probably better than anybody else. He knows the danger because he gave in to it. 300 wives and 700 concubines. And they turned his heart away from his God. By God's grace, escaped. Not guaranteed. But he says, I'm finding something if you will be wise, you will see death is bitter, so bitter, especially for those who are lost and outside of Christ who don't know the Lord. But even something more bitter and distasteful is death, is adultery. Yes, physical adultery and even used as a picture of turning from the Lord to other gods. See, Solomon in this text 
is like a man who barely escaped death. Imagine you're driving your car down the road and it's dark and it's one of those moonless nights and it's raining and you can barely see 20 feet in front of the car and you're going down the road and all of a sudden there's nothing there. And you slam on the brakes and the front of the car dips over the the edge of the bridge that is out. And so you get out of your car and you run back up the road waving your hands and trying to stop everybody coming down that road telling, screaming, the bridge is out. The bridge is out. Solomon is screaming, the bridge is out. Don't go this way. Stop. The road may seem fine for a while, but the end is death. The bridge is out. Don't go this way. Remember the thing I've said over and over, Solomon is shaking us by our shoulders. Listen to me. Foolishness doesn't pay off. Folly doesn't pay off. Rejecting the Lord and His commands doesn't pay off. There's pleasure in sin for a season, but the end thereof is death. There's a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is death. Listen to me. All roads outside of the commanded roads, the paths of righteousness that God has given us, are dead in streets. The bridge is out. Disaster is coming if we persevere down those roads. See, for Solomon, the road was fine for a while. Everything a man could want, or he thinks he wants, and more. But he has realized that it's, the, the bridge is out. It's a serious warning, more bitter than death. It's a constant danger. Let your guard down at your own peril. Let he who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. If you think the devil takes a holiday, or the world, or your flesh, you are mistaken. Look what he says. I found something more bitter than death, and then he, he tells what it is. The woman whose heart's and whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. Now, look what he says. He's not saying this about all women, okay? He says the woman in a particular sense. It's not a blanket statement. Don't get your sexist meter running off the range here. In, 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 in the wisdom literature... Two women are often portrayed, and one as wisdom and the other as folly. Doesn't mean men are any smarter or any better. But the, he says, the woman, and he has experience as a man, like I've said, the woman whose heart snares and nets. This kind of woman, the immoral woman. You see a lot of warnings about that in Proverbs. And that doesn't mean they're not immoral men that ladies need to watch out. There are, okay? Don't strain it that way. We all need to be on guard, and we all need to be saying, don't hand me no lines and keep your hands to yourself. The woman, the immoral woman, the one who lures, picturing the temptation and the promises and the draw and the short-sightedness of it. She's used here to picture folly. 
picture sin, picture the lure away from God. Watch out. Watch out. The trap is set. Find something more bitter than death. The draw, the pull, the temptation to turn from God, to turn from the paths of righteousness, to turn in the direction one should not turn. And in here, in the, the picture, the illustration, to turn to immorality, to turn to the forbidden woman. You can fall without ever touching her. See, sin is inside out. It starts in the heart. And you can commit, you can give in to this woman. You can give in to sin, to turning from God without ever doing it outside of yourself. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 28, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And, and same goes for the ladies. You can flip that over. Adultery is first a heart matter before it is a physical matter. And he's warning us. He's saying the trap is set. Why did I say trap is set? Well, look, look here. Solomon uses the, the tools of a, of a fowler. And a, a fowler would be someone who's trying to catch birds to either eat them or for other purposes, to catch them, keep them captive, whatever. But these are tools of a fowler, and they're plural. Now, notice this. They're snare, her heart, singular, is snares and nets and fetters, plural. The reason it's plural is it's indicating intensity in the language. It's indicating, highlighting danger. The bridge is out. Watch out for this woman. Steer clear. Notice the proverb I read. Stay far from her house. Stay away from her door. Because the trap is set and it's easy to fall into. A snare is a trap, and it can look a lot of different ways, and we usually see things that look different, but it, it, it's just a trap. If you've seen sort of a handmade basket out of sticks that's standing up on another stick with a rope tied to it, and then underneath that you would put bait. You don't put in there what lizards like or what fish like. You put it because you're after bird. You put what a bird likes in there. And the little bird, wow, that's a cool-looking little hut. It just walks right in there, and when he goes after the bait, guess what? Trap closed. Caught. A snare is a, is a trap. And when he's caught, usually he's caught for dinner. Sin always takes you farther than you want to go and costs you more than you wanted to pay, doesn't it? A net is another trap, the trap, uh, trap the bird so that you can either take them and do other things with them or, or, or eat them. And a fetter would be what holds them in bondage so that they can't get away. So they're going to trap you and either eat you or hold you in bondage if you give in to folly and foolishness. See, we think, we think sin is a simple choice, right? Something we can indulge in or leave behind or we can indulge in it and then leave it behind. Really, there's no lasting 
problem. It's just whether or not I do this thing on this day. But what This is picturing for us what is true about sin is that it takes captive. It puts chains on you. It holds you. It wants to lure you in with the bait and then boom, the trap falls. And you're stuck. And you thought you were smart enough to get away with it. And the road seemed fine for a while. Maybe by God's grace you repented, and that's good. But eventually, judgment comes. See, Solomon is teaching that the immoral woman or sin or folly is very dangerous. It will take you captive, and it will take you where you do not or should not want to go. There are no victimless crimes in sin. Well, it's just me and my freedom and what I do. No, sorry. It's you toying with bondage or expressing your bondage. Notice how he puts it. He's saying the trap is set and this woman is the bait. She is the lure to get you in. Or this man is the lure. Or this thing that you know, you know is against God's commands, but it's calling you in. It's, it's more than just there for you to indulge in. It's a trap that will capture and ruin you. And just because God doesn't immediately judge, the moment you do something, doesn't mean you're getting away with it. It will take you captive. It will take you where you don't want to go and where you should not want to go. Solomon said, this is more bitter than death. She is more bitter than death. This woman picturing folly or foolishness, picturing the lure and lust of sin that if you give into, it takes you captive and holds on to you. Beware. Be warned. Sin is far more costly than you think. But look in this verse, there's also a sure escape. The sure escape from sexual immorality or, you, you know, again, it's a picture of foolishness and folly from every sin, the sure escape. First, I'll look at the last part of the last part of the verse. It says this, the sinner is taken by her. No, notice it says that. Taken captive is what it means. Put in fetters, held by. Think of somebody being blackmailed because of something they've done wrong. and just can't get out from under it. It just keeps coming at them. Sin has a way of entangling us and holding us and keeping us there. And he says the sinner is taken by it. The one who rejects God. And, and really this is picturing the one who has not experienced God's grace and His favor. But this can also happen to believers who neglect God and ignore God and ignore His, His commandments and His word. We get taken by it. We get captive by it. It is not just a choice. It winds around. It hardens the heart. It dulls the conscience. It, it takes one captive. But thank God there is a way of escape. The God-lover escapes. He who pleases God escapes her. 
Why? Because God has given sufficient warning. And the one who is living and seeking to please God, the one who loves God more than self, believes those warnings and doesn't judge things just by the dress or how they look or feel. But no, this. Notice, remember the garden and what Satan did to Adam and Eve in the garden. How he tried to undermine their confidence in God. How he tried to get them to believe God was withholding something good from them. See, that's the bait. This thing that's there that, that looks good and, and whatever else, it, it's attractive. You know, it's something that you, your flesh wants and it makes a lot of promises to you. I will satisfy you. I will make you happy. I will give you purpose. And then you partake and the trap shuts. And it doesn't pay off any of those things. Jesus delivers us. It says, he who pleases God escapes. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, think of Hebrews 11. Since that is true and they're pointing us to our eternal home, they're pointing us to our God, they're pointing us to believing and trusting and and in Him, it says, since that's true, let us lay aside every weight. Think of a, someone preparing to run a, a marathon. You don't usually do that with a backpack on. Let us lay aside every weight. And watch what it says. Sin which clings so closely. The Holman says it this way. Sin which so easily ensnares us. Think about stepping in, just a picture, but think about stepping in sin. When you do, these vines come up and start wrapping around you and taking you captive. It says, the sin that so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race setting, set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. He took the payoff. He took the wrath due our sin to deliver us from that punishment. Who for the joy set that was set before Him, He endured that cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Who's on the throne? Who's coming? Who's coming again? Who's coming to judge? said, lay aside the weight and the sin that ensnares. Look to Him and pursue Him in power. See, the God lover escapes. Solomon said, the one who is set on pleasing God escapes her. Verse 26, Psalm 91, 1 to 3. Now watch, how, watch this person who is delivered. Watch how it describes them. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge is my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will deliver you from the bitterness of the woman whose, hearts is, whose heart is snares and nets and fetters. How? Through His Word. Because you trust Him, you believe Him, and you heed his promises and his warnings. Love really is the answer. Love is the answer to the trap. Love for God. 
Now that is law. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right? It's not gospel, it's law. We have all failed at that. Jesus succeeded at that. He paid the penalty for our sins. And so he was raised from the grave that we might trust in him. And I'll say more about that in a minute. But notice in, in our text and in Psalm 91 and in, in Hebrews 2, it's the one who has God as his refuge or her refuge. And he is their fortress. He is their God. He is the one in whom you, you, you trust what you, you follow, what you trust. Now, that's convicting, isn't it? Because we don't, you know, there's not a righteous person on earth. We've already seen that. Who always does good and never sins. But we follow what we trust. And if we trust God, we'll follow him. We will heed his warnings. We will avoid the danger and the problem. And if we give in, there is a way of deliverance. But we don't presume upon that. I'm gonna, you ever heard anybody say, well, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than it is for permission? You might as well say the worst curse word you can think of when you say that. Because that's what you're saying to God. I'll talk to you later. Right now I want this. That's a wicked way to talk. That's a wicked way to talk. That's presuming on grace. That's not coming out of the heart of one who loves God. And I know sometimes we're joking, but be careful. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I don't think he said that with a scowling face. I think he's just telling the truth. If you really love me, you will follow me. So we can measure our love for the Lord, not by feeling, oh, I love the Lord. Yeah, I'm doing this. I love the Lord. Mm -mm. Love of the Lord is to keep his commandments and not see them as a burden, John says in 1 John. Jesus says, if you really love me, you will keep my commandments. And we know, 1 John 4, 19, that we loved him because he loved us first. And this is how he loved us first, 1 John 4, 10. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. What does propitiation mean? It's a sacrifice that turns the wrath away from us onto Jesus. He took the wrath due us on himself on the cross. And because he was the God-man, not just a man, not an angel, he was God, had two natures in one person forever, the one person of Jesus, divine nature, human nature. He was able to take the wrath due God's people given to him and drink that cup dry on that cross before he left it. He didn't go to hell and pay any sort of price to the devil. On the cross, he satisfied justice for our sins. He took the wrath due us. God could not just simply overlook our sins. Somebody had to pay, and Christ came to pay for our failure. And if you'll you won't receive him, you will pay on your own for it. You will have salvation as a free gift because you receive the Lord Jesus Christ or you won't have it at all. It's not in Buddha. It's not in Muhammad. It's not in any of, the, any of the rest of the places. It's in Jesus. He's the only one who satisfied justice for our sin. Trust in Him. He loved us by becoming the propitiation for our sins that we might love Him. And a true grasp of the gospel... The fact that Jesus came and lived and kept the law for us, fulfilling all righteousness, that he died to pay the penalty for our sins, that he was raised from the grave the third day, 
appearing to more than 500 people at once. He ascended into heaven and is reigning and is coming again for his church. If that doesn't produce love in our heart for Jesus, something is wrong. Something is wrong, not with him, with us. And love of Jesus is expressed by it in what he said. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So what we need to do is heed the wisest human who ever lived when he says this is more bitter than death. And we need to certainly heed the God who inspired that and the God who sent his son we need to heed his warnings and believe and trust in him. He's our refuge. He's our, the one in whom we trust, right? So that we heed his warnings and we walk according to his word. Thy word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Your word is a light unto my path, right? It shows me how to walk. I won't always understand it, but if I'll follow what he says, because I love him, not to make him love me. Remember, it's grace. Because I love him, because he's loved me, because he's empowered me by his spirit and given me his word and promises me an eternal hope because he's given me a new heart and he actually dwells inside me. What he's going to produce inside me and through me is a growing appreciation for God and his word such that I treasure it, store it up, and seek to walk in it. Beware of the warning. Heed the warning of God's law. Look away from... Whenever you're tempted... When you're tempted with something, don't look away from the temptation to yourself. You won't find any resources there. Look to the cross. Look to Jesus. When you see that temptation and this thing that is wooing you and promising all this stuff to you and your flesh is drawn to it, the world is cheering you on, the devil is handing you a bunch of lies and lines. Look to Christ. Look how costly sin is. Look how bitter it is. It's proven on the cross. Look how wicked it is. Look how much He loved us. That He took the wrath due our sin. Look to Him. Cry out to Him. And run from folly. Run from the snares and the nets and the trap. Stay far from the door. We need to heed God's warning and look away from temptation to the cross, to the God who loved us so, and walk towards Him. Instead of toward that temptation, walk towards Him in prayer. Walk towards Him in the Word. Walk towards Him in crying out to a brother or sister and saying, I'm struggling today. I'm tempted. Pray for me, help me, encourage me. Walk toward him, not away from him, believing the lies of immorality and not believing that the bridge is out because it is out. Let's just think a little bit about this before we go. Solomon is saying this is more bitter than death and this is what it is. And he's using that to picture all sort of Temptations to depart from the Lord. The Word is not a cafeteria where we pick what we like and leave the rest out. God calls us to trust Him and make Him our refuge and strength and trust Him and prove it. Love Him because He's loved us first in Christ. 
There is a great doctrine of justification where we are declared righteous, we are redeemed, and we're declared righteous, not because of anything we've done. Our works don't enter into it, but because Jesus has lived for us, died for us, and been raised, and we trust in Him, receive Him, and we are declared righteous. Justification. But there's also a doctrine of sanctification, which is us growing in grace and growing in trusting Him and knowing Him and following Him and walking according to His commandments with joy. Psalm 119, 1 John. We love the first one, we neglect the second one a lot of times, and I'm calling us not to do that, but to hold on to justification, sanctification, and glorification, which expounds the doctrine of salvation in the Word. But think about this. Think about the warning Solomon's giving us. How does immorality call us? How does it call us? Well, think about the world, and I'm speaking here of the world system. Not, not creation, but the world system of rebellion against God. The whole world lies under the sway of the evil one. He's the God of this age. It doesn't mean he's sovereign. He's under control. God is sovereign, and God will accomplish all his purpose. But the world and the world system that we are immersed in is a dark world. It's a world that beckons you every day. It's an increasingly wicked outward world culture things are not in case you didn't know this things are not getting better as far as sin and righteousness goes in the culture homosexuality is not a step forward transgenderism is not a step forward abortion is not a step forward I won't finish the list Adultery is certainly not a step forward. It's not freedom. But the world that we live in through billboards and through commercials and through movies and shows and literature is calling on us to love and live for ourselves. To indulge ourselves, to please ourselves. God can't be trusted. It's okay. Everybody does it. It's only the fuddy-duddies, the goody-two-shoes. Where's the wife? You peek behind the curtain. <laughs> you see who's pulling the strings. It comes at you every day and it's, you don't feel it for the same reason a fish doesn't feel wet. You're immersed in it. And we can get accustomed to it. And we can be like the frog in the pot that get boiled. The progressive decline of the culture is seen... Think about movies. Night of the Living Dead was banned in I don't know how many countries when it came out. Now it's on Netflix. That's not progression. That's not progress. Right? Just one example, but the culture bombards us with, you need this. This will make you happy. This is what you should buy and serve and pursue and identify with. This, 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 this. No mention of God. No mention of serving Him. I'm not saying everything in the culture is wicked, but it, it comes at you to use it wickedly, and some of it is wicked. But the world assaults you 
on a daily basis. Your own flesh. If you're honest as a Christian, we're not glorified yet. We still find that we have desires that don't honor God. We have to fight against them. They need to be, old word, mortified, put to death by the grace of God and gospel and the power of the Spirit, Colossians and other places. But our own desires seek to lead us astray. You are your biggest problem. He or she is beautiful or handsome, better. You need them. You need it. It'll satisfy you. Nobody will know. Please yourself. You deserve it. You've suffered enough. You only live once, the old beer commercial. I think it was Schlitz. You only go around once, so grab all the gusto you can get. I'd advise you not to grab that gusto. But <laughs> the world, the flesh, and then the devil. Think about the devil. If he, he tempted Adam and Eve and they fell, and Jesus came to second Adam, fixed what Adam broke. Think about it. He is brash enough to tempt Jesus. You think he's going to ignore you? Not maybe, probably none of us have faced the devil, but a lot of minions underneath him. Think about the one of this lie that's in the culture right now. You are what you desire. Whatever you desire, that defines who you are. That's such a lie. Be your authentic self as you parade proudly in rebellion against God. Your authentic self will bust hell wide open if you don't repent of your sin. Go ahead, David. Look at Bathsheba. It'll be all right. Won't be any consequences. I mean, you way up here on the castle, and we know where that story went. One of the greatest tools of the evil one today is the Internet. The Internet's good and it's bad. It depends on how one uses it. But the Internet has made things accessible at your fingertips that you used to have to go to the convenience store to get. One of his greatest tools today is porn. And listen to me, child of God. Every time you look at that, you're committing adultery. Man or woman. It used to be the girls weren't much into it, but more and more these days. Why? It's, on the, it's right in their pocket. It's in the pocketbook. It's on the phone. Laying in the bed with the covers over your head. Mm. Giving in to the, to the woman whose heart is snares and nets. And being taken captive by it. Oh, thinking you can't get free. Looking for somebody to fix you. When all the while God says repent. And empowers you to repent if you're his child. And if not, come to Christ. He'll empower you to repent. See, it's so much more accessible than ever before. It's no big deal. Everybody does it. I bet that's what they were saying outside the ark. This wasn't a big deal. Everybody was doing it. 
till the storms came, till judgment came. Listen to me. If, if, if you are involved in that, you need to repent. Full stop. You might need help to do that. Nobody's going to lay you on a couch and try to fix you, but we will help you. It's called discipleship. It's called the Word of God. It's called letting yourself be honest with yourself to show that you're loving yourself more than you're loving Jesus right now. That's why you're participating in that, in the dead-end street. You're committing adultery. I'm not married yet, so you will be, probably. There's only one avenue for engagement in, in that type of intimacy, and in it's marriage between a man and a woman. I know, I'm going to get sent to the camp one of these days. I'm getting, whatever, who cares? Speak up. Not out of hate, but out of love. It's loving to point people to God. It's hateful to just ignore it and act like it's okay. If it's going to land people in hell. If you Listen to me. If you are indulging in pornography, your computer is not your problem. Your phone is not your problem. Your heart is your problem. Now, you might need to give somebody your phone or your computer or put something. But the heart is the problem. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me more than you, you will walk away from that to me. And we'll help you do that. How does immorality call us? The world, the flesh, and the devil. So much more I could say. How does Jesus call us? The gospel, the cross, and he loved us first. The cross and the resurrection prove he is the son of God. Prove his way is the right way. Prove all who trust in him are forgiven of all of their sins, are empowered by his spirit to begin walking in a new direction and growing in grace so that we love and serve him. The cross and the resurrection prove His love. Don't look at your circumstances to see if God loves you. Look at the cross. Think about Joseph and if he was looking at his circumstances to see if God loved him. If you hadn't read Joseph, go to Genesis 39. But, you know, it wasn't working for him. He got sold to the Midianites. He got enslaved. He... He got falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. You know what he did when the, when the woman whose hearts were snares and fetters came at him and nets? He said, how can I sin and commit this great sin against God? He loved and trusted God even though he got sold and almost killed and put in prison because he wouldn't have adultery with her. God eventually took him to the throne. But he trusted God through it all. And he was delivered from the immoral woman. But the resurrection proves you can trust Christ. He says, you can trust me. I love you. I know what is best for you. You don't know what is best for you. And if what do you think you know is best for you contradicts this, it's not best for you. It's dumb for you. It's foolishness for you. It's to be repented of. Jesus says, you have my word, my spirit, you have a new heart. You're empowered to walk and live a life of repentance. The fact that you are joyfully indulging in sin might mean you don't know me. You don't know him. 
might need a, Christians can get go in deep holes sometimes. You might be a believer, a trap, you need out. He is sufficient. He's calling you now through this sermon. Beware, repent, trust me, follow me. My commands are gracious commands. It's not just law coming at you. I have lived for you. I have died for you. I've been raised for you. I'm reigning for you. I'm calling you to trust me, to make me your refuge and strength. Believe his warning. Believe his gospel. Love him more than you love yourself. Focus on pleasing him over pleasing yourself and you will escape. That's what Solomon said, right? Who escapes this lure of sin? He who pleases God escapes her. He who is focused on pleasing God and growing in pleasing God because of His grace. He who trusts the Lord in His Word, believes the warnings and commands, and seeks to walk that way, escapes. How many lives bear witness to the destruction of giving in to this woman picturing foolishness and folly? David, certainly. Man after God's own heart, yet... He went so far. He didn't, you know how far David went, right? Not just looking at a woman who was not his wife, but taking her in, having relations with her, having her husband killed to try to hide his sin. Good old Nathan. You are the man. That was a bold prophet. David, Solomon certainly is testifying here. Multitudes. In our day, praise God, God rescues people who haven't believed Him and trusted Him and, and it doesn't all end in disaster for everyone. That doesn't justify going that way. David, Solomon, multitudes, and listen, even a lot of pastors. Even a lot of pastors have not been aware of the steps toward this and have gotten snared have gotten taken captive. Ladies, I won't go in that office with you and close that door by myself. It ain't because I don't love you. Because I don't trust me and I trust God and He tells us to be above reproach visibly. So if you want, I will help you if you need my help, but she'll probably be with me or Sam or another elder. There'll be more than one of us protecting you, protecting me, because it can happen to any of us. Listen, some of you, it may have happened to you. You may have committed adultery. If you have repented, God has forgiven you, has cleansed you from that. Christ paid the penalty for that. It is gone. Sin's gone as far as the east is from the west, Psalm 103. There's forgiveness and restoration in Jesus of hearts and of marriages. But there's no way out if you're not one who's seeking to please God, meaning one who has found God's favor in Christ, meaning one of His children who's seeking to walk with Him. Sin seeks to capture you every day. You need to be in the gospel. You need to be in God's grace. You need to be remembering and marrying up in Jesus every day. Depending upon His strength and power, trusting His word and walking in it. Because sin is seeking to capture you every day. Typified by this woman. 
whose heart is snares and nets and fetters. Are you aware of that? Are you fighting? Are you walking out in the battlefield in your Bermuda shorts or are you fighting? Are you leaving the house ready for warfare? Are you fighting rightly in the gospel, in His grace, in His strength, in His redemption, in His forgiveness, knowing that you're a child of God, empowered by the Spirit with the Word of God, therefore loving Him because He first loved you? Not legalism, not stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. When you stop it, He'll love you. Total neglect of the cross when we say stuff like that. He loves you. Now follow Him. Are you fighting in His grace, in His gospel, in His strength? Listen, bitterness or blessedness, you choose. You choose. If you're already on this road with this woman, I'm telling you the bridge is out. One of the worst judgments you can ever experience from God is for Him to give you your own way and let you go. And He might let you go all the way to the end of your life. And then you stand before him and face judge. Don't do that. Don't do that. I'm not going to say who it was, but I heard of a very famous person who has passed on. And I was shocked. My mouth fell open in the kitchen. Married eight times to seven women. And a whole lot of mess in that trail. Mm. Don't go there. Like Joshua said, choose you this day who you will serve. If you're down this path, are you being tempted by it? Repent today. Turn to the cross. Turn to Jesus. Look to Him. Follow Him. He's there for you. If you will trust Him. Nothing has you that you can't get free from. And nothing can get you that He can't protect you from. If you, by His grace, will be the one who's seeking to please God. See, the song I opened with is funny, but it illustrates both the danger and the way out. Love God above all. Let God's word define what is right and what is wrong. Let his word define sin and marriage. And when the world and the flesh and the devil come at you with their lies, tell them, don't hand me no lines. And keep your hands to yourself because I love another. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Have mercy on us, Lord. Deliver us from ourselves. I pray for those who don't know you this morning. Maybe they're religious and watching this over the live stream or in one of these rooms or outside here today. Most of the religious world was lost as being kind in Jesus' day. And much of it is today too. Lord, if there be one listening to the sound of my voice who maybe even think they know you, but they aren't really those who are focused on pleasing you. They are not. They want a Jesus as a way out of hell, but not living for him. I pray for repentance. I pray for a new heart. I pray for the Spirit to apply the gospel so that you grant life, 
regeneration to that person so that they see their sin and their misery and their need of a Savior and they repent and turn to Jesus and receive Jesus for salvation this morning. Those of us who are your children but are ignoring you or using you, make us miserable. Don't give us over. Make us miserable, Lord, until we repent. But don't wait. For, don't don't use. Help us not to use that as a justification. Okay, I'm going to wait till I'm miserable. Uh-uh. Today is the day. God commands all people everywhere to repent because He's given us His Son and He's set a day when Christ will come and judge all. Dare we not presume, Lord? But those of you who are your children who are maybe caught by the net and the snares in immorality. May today be the day they reach out for help. Confession of sin, reaching out for help, seeking to walk in repentance. Those of us who know you and by your grace are not caught by any of these things right now, Lord, help us to not think we stand, to take heed lest we fall, to see our need of you as great as anybody else's, to trust and rest in Christ alone, to be being filled with your word, to depend upon the power of the Spirit, to look away quickly from temptation like our Savior and say, it is written, it is written, it is written. Let us look away to the cross and the price you paid for us and the love you have for us and run towards you in your throne of grace and find help in our time of need. Lord, thank you for warning us. Thank you for warning us. Thank you for saving us. Work in our hearts to be passionate followers of Christ. Those who, because of the grace and the knowledge that we are loved, pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Draw to faith those who don't know you. Enrich in faith and grace and love and trust for you, those of us who do. Build your kingdom. Revive your church. Deliver us from the woman whose heart is snares and nets and fetters. For it's in the holy name of Jesus we pray. Amen.